Principal, board member, global chief strategy officer, C-suite advisor, wife, and mother. These are just some of the titles today's guest has held or currently holds. Michelle Lewis is a principal and an investment committee member for a lower middle market private equity firm in Houston. She oversees origination for the firm's investments in industrial distribution and services, software, and tech-enabled businesses. Over the course of her career, she has successfully closed several billion in cross-border public and private transactions from the Texas panhandle to Kazakhstan and been involved in many more. And most recently, she was named Akaya's top 21 in 21 Texas dealmakers list. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Alexis. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, I am going to jump right in. But before we get into anything, before we get into the nitty gritty, let's back this train up all the way to the beginning. Because what I did not mention in that intro is that your undergrad was in the arts. So no finance degree, not the traditional uh, career <laughs> career path here. So talk to me about how you were able to turn a degree in fine arts into a successful career in private equity? Okay, so great question. Um, it is one I do get every once in a while. And to be completely transparent, it was definitely not planned. Um, I've really had a pretty circuitous career. Though I think it makes sense when I look back at it and kind of chunk it up into the different segments of my life, so to speak. I've loved to learn new things. I love trying new things. I like going different places. I like meeting new people. And I've just never been afraid to do that. The, you know, the expression, I've never met a stranger. And that's very true. I've never had a fear of failing. Instead, I've just said, you know, I wonder what that's like, or I wonder what those people do, or I wonder who those people are. And then I'm curious enough to just go find out. And it does drive my family insane because <laughs> we always leave new places with a new friend or, you know, a new place to go. And so I've always thought of myself as a collector of experiences and of people. And so if I think back, like looking at my career in segments, I think that that first third of my career was in relation to that was all about the why not for me. Why not, you know, be a tour guide in Paris? Why not, you know, move to San Francisco and be a leadership consultant? Whatever it was, it was all about why not try it? Why not do that? Why not look at something in a different way? It was really all about taking a risk, not like a, you know, a base jumping bungee jumping, kind of scare your mother to death risk, but a calculated risk to try something new, to go through a door without the knowledge of what was going to be on the other side, but knowing that I could always turn around and that if I chose not to go to the other side, that would be okay. But I wouldn't really know what I would have experienced if I hadn't. So I always tried. And the second third, I think, was more about getting a seat at the proverbial table. So moving from the why not, you know, to well, hold, hold on. <laughs> While I was why notting, I suppose, around the country, <laughs> most of my friends had been head down in accounting or investment banking or some corporate role. And when I looked up, many of them were in these amazing leadership roles. And now I was saying, why not me? <laughs> uh, yeah. So why not changed? And I guess like many people who reflected on their lives after 9-11, I decided to pivot and I went to business school. So post-MBA, I ended up in a restructuring firm and I was exposed to a totally different world, more in hard skills. For those who don't know, in restructuring, we're, we're kind of like the triage team when companies or institutions get too far out over their skis. 
So some of my, our customers or clients were in you know, truly dire straits and losing federal or state funding and others just needed to cut several hundred million dollars out of their budget. And whatever the task we worked, we felt like what was around the clock 24-7 to save that proverbial patient and bring it back to health. For anyone who's seen George Clooney in the movie Up in the Air, that really wasn't too far off. But eventually, (laughs) I looked around and saw that the leadership was largely men, largely divorced, and that the hotel and airline points just didn't matter that much to me anymore. Mm -hmm. So after 13 years of marriage and living in a different city than my husband, pretty much every week, we made a conscious choice for me to move back home to start a family. And in doing that, I called a friend from business school and said, hey, I'm back. I'm pregnant and I need a job. And he said, great, you're hired. Start Monday. You'll do m and And it is the only time in my career where I literally had to tell the person that I was talking to, I don't have any experience in what you want me to do. But from a small segment to an entire division, I, I not only figured out what mergers and acquisitions were, but to use your podcast name, I think I rocked it. <laughs> and I helped carve the, that division out of its public company parent merge it with its equal size public company peer, and then IPO it. And then that took me to a whole new level of leadership and exposure to different functions. When we IPO'd, I was literally overseeing every single function other than legal and operations and accounting. We were on our own as as a public company. and, And we had the opportunity to choose to do everything the exact same that we had done in our original parent company or build it from scratch. And we did the latter. So we were now reevaluating everything we had used and how we did it. So it was almost more like a startup, but a startup with 3000 employees and 300 locations and across the world. So that's literally what's our comp structure? What's our benefits? What's our HRS system? What's our ERP platform? Literally every single function and every system and every process that went along with that. So that brings us to the last leg or third leg of my career so I shouldn't say last, I suppose. After nine years in M&A and private equity had come up so many times and I started learning more about it and coming across more firms in the same space. And my firm approached me to come build their origination function. So circling back to career segment one and my desire to always be learning, I said, why not? So like I said at the beginning, I never had a plan of where I was going to end up. I just went with where I could learn something new and meet new people along the way. And if I failed, I could always go backwards and do what I'd done before. But I didn't. Instead, I learned something, was exposed to different perspectives. And I guess for me, when I look back, it makes perfect sense where I am today because I use all of those experiences every single day. I'm going to digress for a second because I need to add tour guide in Paris to your list of titles because <laughs> I did not know that. So if that's true, then we need to, you know, <laughs> we yes. can also add that there. Um, Technically, that was my very first job. <laughs> was it? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, that it actually fits into your story very well with everything that you're saying in, in terms of, you know, it, it fits. But another thing that kind of stands out to me is that, you know, you mentioned how everything was, you know, well, why not? And no fear, right? And just not kind of yes. being held back by your own, you know, your own kind of maybe self-doubt or limitations. And that's obviously a theme in your career. And I find it fascinating that, you know, you at a point were approached to to start a career in M&A without any prior experience. And I think a lot of people at that point or in that moment would have kind of, you know, maybe 
retracted and been like, oh, no, no, you know, it's very much so I think in line with your philosophy of, you know, not having that fear, just kind of taking that chance and and going with it. I mean, do you think that that I mean, when you kind of reflect, because you know, obviously, you know, your hindsight is twenty twenty, But I mean, do you do you feel that maybe you were in a position where like, yeah, I, I seriously doubted myself? And, or, you know, like, you know, what did you think at that moment, that precise moment in time when you're being offered this opportunity? Yeah, well, the division president at the time said, you know, it's really not too different than what you're doing. It's just kind of the exact opposite. So in restructuring, you're <laughs> looking at all the financials. But it's the exact opposite. I love that. <laughs> you're looking at the financials to say, well, where can I cut, you know, 100 million out of this function? And in this case, it is you're looking at a business to say, how can I grow it? So you're in both cases, you're analyzing the financial documents and analyzing the people that are a part of the organization and whether or not you believe in its longevity. It's just in one case, it is unlikely for it to be uh, an ongoing concern. And then in the other case, you strongly believe that it can be and you can grow it and scale it and, and, you know, take it from there. So in a way, they really are very similar. Although at the time, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, a certain rock star quality that I've noticed in, in a lot of the conversations that I've had is, you know, because I, I think a lot of high performers, when we're just looking at high performers in general, I mean, obviously, everyone has that moment in time where you don't know exactly what you're doing <laughs> in any job, right? I mean, but you're up to the task. Um, For sure. And it's like that mentality um, that you have where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm smart. I can do this. And I can figure it out. Absolutely. If someone else can do it, why can't I? For sure. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Another, another kind of common denominator that I've seen uh, among a lot of the the leaders that I've been speaking with um, lately, and we could probably go into like another, (laughs) another, uh, another podcast episode just uh, on that topic alone. But I want to move on. So I want to touch on something that I think a really kind of important aspect that that drives you, or at least that's kind of what I've I've seen, because you come across from some of our offline conversations as someone that is a very values driven, uh, person. And the fact that you mentioned that, you know, you, you and your husband kind of took a pause, decided that you wanted to start a family. And, you know, I think you mentioned that, you know, you kind of made that commitment at that point. So I, you mentioned to me this, this phrase, you know, to whom much is given much is expected. So you mentioned this to me a couple of times. So obviously, I think that this is something that it has significant meaning to you. So tell me what to whom much is given much is expected means to you and how it has shaped your life. Yes, that's a big phrase in our household. And I think this actually started from my mother, sappy, but true. And I feel incredibly lucky to have had her as a role model. So context here, she kind of blazed her own path, despite having very little support from the family in which she grew up in. She's from Yankton, South Dakota, which Alexis, you may never have even heard of Yankton, South Dakota, (laughs) being in another country. Um, I have not. (laughs) Eight of nine, and nine was her twin sister. And she was responsible for helping raise the children of her older siblings. So very modest start. But despite that, she had very high expectations of herself. And she left home for Texas at 18 and never returned to Yankton. And she wanted to be this world traveler, to be a professional, to kind of have a high standard standard in uh, her community and to always help others. 
And she accomplished that. She became an emergency room nurse and she actually worked at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, which is where JFK was. And Mm -hmm. she was there when he was shot. And then she married my father and moved to Houston and worked in an inner city public hospital in the emergency room for the rest of her career. And still today, she will tell you that if she ever gets stabbed, which I hope is an incredibly remote possibility, that's where she would want to be taken because they have the most experience dealing with trauma victims. So yes, we have some very interesting dinner conversations. Um, But anyway, so we had a pretty comfortable life. But my mom would always take the holiday shifts and the night shifts at the hospital so that the single parents could be with their kids during those times. And she would have me come to meet her at the hospital to see kind of, you know, the, the impact of, the, of life, I, I guess you could say. So I've literally seen everything from knife wounds, bullet holes, brain injuries, from no helmets, you know, no seatbelts, whatever. Oh, wow. And so I guess because I'm not in medicine and I can't give that back that way, I feel like we can give in other ways. And whether that means, you know, we can help a friend move furniture or we have extra skills, you know, like being really crafty so we can help with the school play, or maybe we have an extra dollar. It's our responsibility to do that because we have those things. We have the time, maybe we have the skill, maybe we have a couple extra dollars. And so that is our way of giving back. And we do it with, we do it as a family. So we volunteer every month whether it's, you know, weeding at the Botanic Gardens or going to the food bank or making cookies for, you know, emergency room nurses and first responders, especially during COVID. It's incredibly important to me that not only that, you know, I give back, but that my kids are raised to see the importance of being able to have an impact as young as nine years old. Mm-hmm. Well, mom for the win, right? I mean, <laughs> mom's always, you know, I don't know, I guess uh, I, I feel like I'm fortunate too, where I've had a very, a mother who's just been a, an incredible influence on me and someone that I, I appreciate and feel very lucky to have. And, and I think that this is awesome, the, the experience that you had growing up and that you continue to share with your children, the, the legacy that your, you know, that your mother kind of um, left on you. How, you know, how do you feel that that kind of shapes your children in terms of understanding their influence? Well, I would love to say they totally get it. But, you know, there are many Saturday and Sunday mornings where they just want to sleep in and their idea of um, getting up and going to volunteer is not necessarily always top of their list. But my son will say, can we, you know, can we go to the food bank? Um, It's been a while, you know. So I think that they understand the concept of giving back and they just like different ways to do it. They like the physicality of it. Like literally they want to, it has to be tangible, if that makes sense. They they Mm -hmm. prefer that than to give a dollar, for example. I don't think they've made that connection just yet where they can see the difference in weeding a garden and then they're proud of the work that they've completed and know that they've done that for someone else, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to give a shameless plug to my episode four guest, um, Elizabeth Wadsworth, because we spent a good part of that podcast talking about influence and how we don't realize that, you know, we don't harness our influence because you think, oh, I need to be bigger or I need to do more. 
And it's not necessarily about, you know, doing that or, or making some huge, you know, monetary contribution. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the influence can be, you know, time, your influence can be, you know, if you're someone that is, you know, on a very basic level, you know, listening to someone who really needs it. I mean, we all have a different way of being able to share our own influence. But I think, you know, in terms of what you're doing, it starts at that early age, right? Because, you Absolutely. know, kind of, it, it, it really does. It really does. And like you said, it, it's something that heavily impacted and shaped your life. Um, those moments where you had to go to the hospital and kind of see life in all its messiness, right? That's one exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah, no, I love that. In fact, one of the things that we'll do with, you know, because my kids are young enough that they're still having play dates is a play date can very much be, all right, our play date is going to kick off with making snack lunches for search homeless. And then you can go and run around and do something. But let's start it off with doing something for somebody else. And I don't even think my kids think about it, those anymore when we, you know, that's just part of the play day. I'm sure they're friends when they so come over are a little are, curious. <laughs> <laughs> so their friends are part of this too. And whether they like yes, it or not. <laughs> exactly. And they, yeah. and I don't think they even think twice about it. They're all just like, yeah, this is really cool. We're, you know, doing something for somebody else. And then they go do their own thing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I think that that's, that's great. Uh, and uh, a really great way to, again, continue your legacy because it is, it is important. It is certainly important to really understand one's influence and the impact that we can bring just with just small gestures. Um, small testers. Exactly. 100%. Well, well, kind of sticking to this theme of, of family, and I kind of want to go a little bit into uncharted territory, if you will, Michelle, because, um, you know, <laughs> besides being a rock star in PE, you're obviously a, a family woman. What we haven't shared, we already know you have two young children, but you're also someone that you, you have been married, if I'm not mistaken, for 25 years. I didn't make that up, right? That's 25 no, years. You're, okay. You're All right. Correct. 25 years. I can't believe that it's been that long. <laughs> so 25 <laughs> years and your husband is also an executive. So I kind of want to break this down because let's start with the fact that you've been married for 25 years, which <laughs> is an achievement in itself, regardless of job, situation, anything. And then I think separately, you know, just with any other kind of high pressure and demanding job where, especially in this space, well, maybe not. I think it's, it's pretty much all like high pressure and demanding jobs is, is, you know, you tend to find this, but divorce tends to be prevalent. Long-term healthy relationships tend to be scarce. So let's just say, you know, the odds have been against you or the <laughs> odds are against you, right? And at this point. So how do you balance your careers and your relationship? Yeah, that's a really, that's another really good question, Alexis. You've got tough questions here. (laughs) You know, I think for us, it is raising a family is our number one priority above and beyond anything else. And we came to that conclusion after many, many years. I mean, we were, we waited a very long time and made a very conscious choice on when we thought was the right time for us to have children. And, you know, every person, every family is different. For me, it was actually not something I thought I wanted to do initially. In fact, I told my husband on our first date, if he wanted to have children, that um, he should know up front that I didn't so we could have a nice dinner and go our separate ways. (laughs) So when I called him from out of town on one Friday night, 13 years after we had gotten married and lived in different cities. It was not without a tremendous amount of thought and a lot of very intense discussion about how this was going to work for us in particular. 
especially with, you know, both of us having pretty serious careers. So I know we all think we're married to the most amazing men. But when he told me that he knew I would eventually come around, I knew he was absolutely was the perfect man for me to have waited for 13 years, you know, hoping that I would eventually say this was what I wanted. So it is not without a tremendous amount of work, just like anything I think you really care about and you want to be good at. So I remember asking a trainer once I was working with, how do I get a physique like a ballerina? And he said, oh, that's so easy. You become a ballerina. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. So for me, it's the same thing with being a parent. It takes work every single day. And the same thing with our relationship. So we have a lot of discussions and a lot of, you know, planning and texting and emailing about what our day is going to be like, about what our week is going to be like, you know, what our plans are, who's going to handle what and when, you know, (laughs) who's going to be helping with homework, who needs to get to bed early because they have an early meeting or a presentation or a board meeting or whatever. So lots and lots of talking. And it doesn't always go the way that you want it to. (laughs) Uh So we were on a trip recently and I had my 85-year-old mother with us and I love her, but she's not for the faint of heart as you can probably imagine after having been an emergency room nurse. So she takes the wearing a purple hat and dancing like nobody's watching to a whole new level. (laughs) And we were going to a funeral for her twin sister's husband in Washington, D.C. So I've got her, she's full of grit. And I've got my two children who are 11 and nine and, and, you know, not, not able to like manage themselves completely. And I have my husband and he was trying to negotiate a huge deal the entire trip. So I was trying to get everyone fed for breakfast, corral them, get everyone dressed appropriately for a funeral, organize an, an, you know, an Uber, get to the funeral on time, which happened to be in Maryland, not DC. And I just, I lost it. And I had to step outside the hotel room and kind of take some deep breaths and and then come back and apologize. And I was just trying too hard to do everything myself. And I just needed to kind of let go a little bit and not be worried about everything being so perfect. So I let my mom wear white to the funeral. I, yes, very unusual. I let the kids bring their iPads, which I, you know, no parent wants them to bring an iPad to a funeral. I switched to a more luxurious vehicle so my husband could take his call in the back while the rest of us could be comfortable in the front for the 30-minute ride. And it all ended up fine. But I had to let go of the expectations in my head that I had not explained to anybody else. And it turns out, you know, you can... You can do, you can have it all, but you can't do it by yourself. And it's not always going to be perfect. And that has to be 100% okay. So a lot of conversations and letting go sometimes and letting it just be okay and not perfect and trying to be human. Mm -hmm. You said a couple of things here and and it made me think to the, you know, all the... (laughs) all the craziness that I've, that I've experienced with three kids, you know, under the age of eight while running my own business. And you said something, you know, uh, the expectations that you had. And I think that expectations are, are those, are the killers, right? Because we have these high expectations for ourselves as a professional, as a mother, as a wife. And then when, you know, when we can't live up to our own expectations, this is when, you know, when, when the mud hits the fan, right? Uh, oh, for sure. 
you know, that's like, <laughs> and I've realized exactly the same thing. It's like, okay, all right, lower the expectations, you know, like you, you adapt and you do what you can, right? You get into almost like survival mode and you have to, like, that's the, yes. <laughs> that's the only way to do it. If you, you know, if you don't want to, you know, have like this screaming, crazy mother or wife, I mean, no one wants that. And no one wants the, you know, a screaming, raging father either. <laughs> right? Yes. I don't remember um, which parenting expert said this, but they basically said, you know, if it's if it's not going to cause bodily harm or physical harm or mental angst, then it's probably okay to let it go. Like the iPads is a perfect example, right? Yeah. Like no one was going to pass, you know, away from them having their iPads with, with them. I may have been uncomfortable with it, but nobody else really cared. So why yeah. let that be you know, the, well, why let that be what makes everybody else miserable? Um, or my mom wearing a white dress to a funeral. Does anyone, does anyone really care? Did anyone even notice other than me? Probably not. Um, mm-hmm. Or they had a good giggle about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure no one passed any judgment on like the, on the iPad at that moment, you know, like in at a funeral, everyone's kind of tends to have, you know, their attention's focused on, uh, on other things, on other bigger things here. So again, you know, yeah, it's those expectations that we have of ourselves. And they, I mean, they kind of make their way into every little, you know, nook and cranny. And I find myself sometimes, you know, and you, you know, actually, I want to ask you, talk to me about your mom guilt, because I feel like mom guilt is like prevalent (laughs) everywhere, no matter, you know, if you're an executive, a business owner, a teacher, or whatever, you know, you're whatever you do, you have that mom guilt. What talk, tell me, (laughs) tell me for sure. I mean, aren't we all living the Sarah Jessica Parker movie? Like every single day, those of us who are who are moms, for sure. I mean, I, I want to be at home and I want to be at the office at the same exact time. And, and that's just not physically possible. So yeah, I think we all have a little bit of the mom guilt that continues to motivate me or be a reminder for me is that I'm setting an example for them as a mom who's working. And I think they appreciate it and would prefer me in that role than if I was at home all the time. There are phenomenal, you know, moms who are at home, but that isn't me. And they know that they know that I would not probably be as good of a mom if I was at home and not at the office as much as I am, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, I that's kind of what I I also I also think I'm like, okay, well, they they see me working, they see me, you know, my own business, you know, and uh, every once in a while, I get like a comment about someone else's mom. Uh, and then I'm, <laughs> I find myself maybe defending myself to my kids. <laughs> like, well, but at the end of the day, I think, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm very much so a part of their lives. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what, you know, that's what counts. That's the most important thing. That's the important part, right? Yeah. (laughs) Working Um, or not working, working from home, working from the office, whatever it is, as long as they're going to bed happy, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, just to start kind of winding down a little bit, Michelle, and I I kind of want to ask, you know, your, your take on, you know, being the only woman in the room. So what advice do you have to all those women who continue to be or who will be the only woman in the room? Um, I think, you know, don't worry about being the only woman or the only mom that, you know, the only anything, just get in there and do a great job and prove you deserve to be there. Like anyone else, I guess it's kind of like Nike, just do it. Um, Or, or back to earlier. I mean, why not? 
like get in there, try it out. See if, see if you can make the biggest difference by being the only woman. I mean, maybe turning it around and instead of saying, gosh, I'm, I am the only woman that's awkward and strange or weird, I would turn it more around to being like, this is awesome. I am the only woman. I can show them how great a woman can be in this role or in this organization or, or in this you know, um, C-suite or wherever it is. So I would turn it around and make it a privilege and take full advantage of the opportunity to show how great someone can be in that spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that because it's it's changing the lens, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Many times we're we're thinking, oh, I'm I'm the only one, and it, as if it was a bad thing, and it's and right. really looking at it as an opportunity. Um, exactly. That's exactly right, Alexis. Awesome. And, I love and, it. And, and that goes across the board. I mean, in, in a variety of situations, right? Whether you're the only woman, like I said, you're the only mom, you're the only man, whatever it is, it's a great perspective to have to be the only one of anything and probably very unusual to be in that situation. So using your words, change your lens. Mm-hmm. Yes, seize it, right? And going back and using what you were saying, like I, I, right when you said that, I was like, yeah, no fear, why not? <laughs> I like that. Why not? That's what, how kind of like the mantra I think um, I'm going to start using from, from from now on. Why not? Cool. Well, Michelle, thank you for taking the stage and sharing your story, your wisdom and your advice. I, I really enjoyed learning more about you. And I hope we can do this again. We touched on a number of things that I think we could have just done a deep dive on. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have an opportunity to do this again. You're truly a, a, a rock star. And I might go as far as to say, you know, pretty badass. So oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> you are so amazing and sweet. And I really appreciate that. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I really <laughs> have enjoyed our conversation. So I'd love to chat with you again anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Take the Stage and our special series, Ladies Who Rock. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Michelle Lewis. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you're a company or candidate who would like to work with career rockstars, reach out on LinkedIn or send an email to alexis at career-rockstars.com. Thanks again. And until next time.